Hi everyone and welcome to the Perma Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. It's really great to have you all here again. Uh, I am really delighted to welcome back to the show uh, a guest that was on earlier in 2020 uh, and uh, somebody who's become a good friend and an author and also a uh, um, somebody who does a lot of work with people who are grieving. Uh, Shelby Forsythia, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much, James. I'm really glad to be here. Uh, yeah, it's it's really great to have you back. And uh, boy, has this been uh, boy, is this a good time to talk about grief? Yeah. Um, <laughs> 2020 has been like one long grief experience, I think, for all of us. How's it been for you? Um. It's been kind of funny, which is a weird first word to bring up in relation to grief, but especially when the coronavirus pandemic first emerged here in the United States in March, I kind of felt this sentiment from grievers or people in the grief space, like myself also, where the world was falling apart and dealing with uncertainty and living in a world where anything can happen. And as a person who grieved, really hard for the first time seven years ago when my mom died. I'm like, uh, yeah, join the club. And so there was almost this, um, it wasn't an anger and it wasn't a spitefulness that came forward for a world that was learning how to grieve for the first time or learning how to deal with uncertainty for the first time. But it was almost as if uh, I watched a video where Elizabeth Gilbert said something similar the other day. It's like, oh, all of this work that I've done in grief for the past seven years, now it's time to use it because we are living in a world where uncertainty, anxiety, loss are happening daily, hourly, every single minute. Um, and so I've, I've experienced this funny and not so funny coincidence, synchronicity, something happening with grievers in the grief space where they're like, yeah, my friends and family are finally waking up to what it feels like to constantly be living in a state of loss. And it's there's very much a join the club uh, dark humor that's overlaid on top of it yeah yeah i've noticed this too and yeah um i mean it's all different types of grief as well you know it's people losing their jobs it's uh people having to change their whole way of life change their routines that they've had it's uh it's people having to move it's people it's just everything is changing uh, and of course, then we've had people who have died, um, some tragically, uh, and some too young, uh, and some after a great life, uh, well lived. Uh, and it's just, it's just at some point there was, for me, it was like, kind of enough. Like, can, can this just stop, please? Like, you know, um, just the other day, uh, we had another loss. Um, and British listeners won't know um, who I'm talking about, but somebody uh, who lived a great life. Again, I forget her name. She was, um, and Americans will know better than I will. That's probably why I don't remember her name. But um, somebody who'd just done great justice work uh, in America uh, and yeah oh sure <laughs> yeah um ruth bader ginsburg our supreme court justice died at 87 yeah my mind, mind just went blank on 
also not remembering names, but yes, she just did some incredible work in her life uh, and is such a big loss. And this, uh, and of course, it's now the the, the the thing after the loss, which is what's going to happen to that that position. You know, um, is this going to be another bad thing that happens uh, as, you know, on top of the overwhelming grief? Um, and yeah, I mean, my I think my tipping point was Chadwick Boseman, um, the actor, mm-hmm. uh, a few weeks ago. I and I've I've been learning to listen to my body a lot more and being highly sensitive. I pick up on things a lot more. And the Friday, I had you know we hadn't become public yet, and but I all day I felt down. I felt angry. I felt frustrated. I was you know, and there was no reason for it. And my you know I was fine. There was nothing wrong in my life. Um, it was just like something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. Um, I just kept thinking about is this an anniversary? Is this like no, it's not any of that. And then the next morning I woke up and the news had broken, and I thought, oh god, that's what it was. <laughs> it's like almost my body knew mm-hmm. the knowing and, before the knowing. Yeah, exactly. It's like and literally somehow I and it hadn't nobody had known. It hadn't. It wasn't like I been around me that I hadn't and I hadn't picked up on it it was just that nobody knew but my body somehow knew that this had happened and I think that was the kind of tipping point I just like just know like enough is enough kind of I just I cried I just took some time and just cried cried for ages uh and yeah it was it was overwhelming well and I think it speaks to this need to allow ourselves permission to grieve for people we've never met yeah. It's something that some pieces of especially westernized society are quick to shoot down while they're not related to you. Well, you didn't know, even know them. You never met them. You never saw them in concert or kind of whatever the the excuse is that the world needs to qualify grief. But I, I think we are allowed to grieve people that we look up to, people who inspire us, people who um, change mm. our lives for the better, people who spark movements. Um, and I think especially with your intuitive, this body knowing of something is wrong, there's almost an alarming awakening happening right now where people are recognizing how much we are all connected. And for your body to even know that there is a grief coming, there is a loss coming, pain is arriving soon. I don't know in what form. Um, yes, I believe you. I think that's very real. Yeah. It's um, it's part of the life of being a highly sensitive person, honestly. Um, picking up on that kind of energy, um, almost intuitively, and absorbing it without knowing what it is. Uh, yeah, it's quite a terrifying experience sometimes because once you're aware of it, it's like, oh no, something bad happened, and I just don't know it yet. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, in this year, you can't want anything out. I mean, just no surprises, you know, nothing surprises me anymore, um, which is quite sad. But, um, yeah, I mean, how have, how have the lessons of you that you learned about how to grieve well kind of served you this year? Well, I feel like I was thrust back into the first weeks and months after my mom died when the pandemic first hit, but in a different way. But there were a lot of similar stories that arrived with the pandemic that came through when she died. And I think 
people try and distinguish between losses, you know, a death is not the same as a pandemic, which is not the same as losing your job, which is not the same as financial loss, which is not the same as a breakup, which yes, all of that is very true. Um, And simultaneously, the stories we tell ourselves about grief underneath all of that can be very universal. So I am powerless, I am hopeless, I am helpless, I am out of control, I am in a free fall and nothing is here to catch me. And those are all, I can't trust the world, I can't trust the people around me, nowhere is safe. Like Mm. these were very much, and pardon the cat in the background, but (laughs) um, these are very much stories that came through with the death of my mother in 2013. And so in, in writing this book, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit later, um, I was asked to write this book within the first two months of the pandemic. I wrote 50,000 words between March and May, 2020. And it just so happened to be when the coronavirus pandemic hit the United States. I lost my jobs, my day jobs on March 17th. And I began writing like around March 10th or so and completed writing on May 1st. And so to write this book in about a month and a half, two months within the first weeks of the coronavirus pandemic, while I was also being thrust into uncertainty, powerlessness, financial loss, lack of trust for the people around me, not knowing how, you know, the line at the grocery store is going to work out now that we all have to be six feet away from each other. Can I even take the train to a coffee shop to write anymore, which I've been doing, you know, (laughs) for like the past five or six years, I always write in public spaces. Everything was turned on its head. And so I've been um, recalling what those moments were like and trying to remember some of the things that helped me or anchored me in that time and simultaneously acknowledging that there is no real and permanent fix. And so it's very much I'm holding two truths in each of my hands at the same time of like, there are things that help, there are no things that save. Does that make sense? Absolutely. No, that's right. Yeah, it makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm hugely impressed by the way that you wrote this book in two, three months. That is incredible. Uh, I can't imagine writing that amount of words in that short time. <laughs> I impress myself. I still don't believe that it happened, but I'm looking at a yeah, book in front of me and I'm like, that's real. <laughs> I, mean, I, I have a day job, so I couldn't, I probably couldn't do that. But, um, but you know, I mean, I, I, although to be fair, I took, a, I took a little break to start trying to start working on my, on my book uh, recently. And I did write about 3000, words in a day so if i did that you know if i did that at least if i just five days four or five days a week um then i could probably write fifty thousand words in, in in the same time it just depends on the amount of time you have but um uh but yeah it's a great book it's called your grief your way uh it's um tell us tell, tell us a bit about this book So this is uh, definitely a book that I wish I had after my mom died. It's a book that reminds you you're going to make it out of this alive every single day through quotes from other grieving people, celebrities, grief authors, um, people you may not know, and little exercises, and they alternate. And so one day you'll get a quote with some commentary on it, and the next day you'll get an exercise that's somehow tied into it. And these are all very practical, grounded things that you can lean on in the aftermath of loss. And the disclaimer, I have two disclaimers I'll give. It's not religious because I know that a lot of people have wrestlings with God in the aftermath of loss. And all the grief devotionals I found after my mom died were religious. And I said, I don't want any of this. So I, on purpose, 
<laughs> wrote a book that was not religious, but still related to grief. Um, and they're all super practical or free to accomplish. Um, they don't require a lot of extra materials. They don't require a lot of extra reading or um, attending a support group or even sometimes having access to the internet. There are a few exercises um, that request you to like search for a grief podcast. So something like this or something like mine um, on the internet, but so many of them are journaling exercises or brief meditations or ways that you can even reframe your grief as if you're talking to it in the room. And the hope is that no matter whether you use this linearly through 366 days of the year, or if you just kind of flip it open and, and see what resonates with you, that whatever you find gives you a little bit more room to breathe wherever you are in your loss. It's not a book that needs to be read cover to cover or even in order. I know a lot of people play like Bible roulette where they flip open the Bible and help that whatever page that they land on <laughs> provides yeah. them with some wisdom. And you could even do that with this book, even though the entries are numbered by by date, you could certainly flip it open and, and find anything on any day, anywhere that should be of some help to you. And I was actually requested to write this book by the folks at Penguin Random House. And they said, we want it to be comforting and we want it to be practical and we want it to be short. And I said, great, because so many grieving people, including myself, I could not read after the death of my mother. I couldn't hold my focus for more than, I don't know, five, seven minutes at a time. And so to dip in and dip out of something like a devotional that has these short but really powerful paragraphs, one a day, I was like, okay, this is something that I could have digested way back then. And even still mm. seems to be helping a lot of people now, even though their loss is five, eight, 22 years out. Yeah, that's right. I, yeah, I found it very helpful. Uh, and actually I did that kind of roulette thing. <laughs> I love that uh -huh. phrase that is. Um, yeah, I used to do that with the Bible, though. I've, I've never read the Bible cover to cover, but I was like, maybe I'll learn something if I just drop it open and then just hope you don't land in Leviticus or Revelations. <laughs> you can somewhere and find that, like, and the God will guide you to the right verse. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I have this kind of dark sense of humor about evangelicalism. But, um, anyway. <laughs> Yeah, no, with this book, I mean, I, the thing, I'm, and we talked about this just before we started recording, that I kind of, when I was reading it, I kind of, when I realized it was one for every, it was one for like every day of the year, and it was day, in date, like with, in date order, I, I actually flipped to the date of, of my mum's death. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it's uncanny how that one of, the one for that day, uh, April the 29th was was actually really really meaningful for me in terms of who she was and remembering who she was um are you um you said you mentioned you'd, you'd be willing to read a little bit um I wonder if you could read that that one yes April, absolutely April the 29th flip open. I've got like the paper book with me I don't know if you can what it what it is uh as the, what the book is about as well so um uh, and you can, anyone listening, if you buy the book, you could do this as well for, you know, uh, birthdays of the loved one you've lost or uh, anniversaries or anything. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure it will really help. So uh, are you ready, Shelby? Yes, totally. I've got it open in front of me. Fantastic. So here we go. April the 29th. April 29th. 
For millennia, people have used dance and movement to move the energy of grief. They use their bodies to tell the story of what happened, how they're feeling about their loss, and what the experience of grief is like. Even if you're not a dancer, consider dancing as an outlet for your grief. Whether you shut the curtains and dance alone in your bedroom, or join a structured movement class with others, releasing grief through the body helps unlock and move emotions you may not have words for. When you're feeling stuck or stalled, put on a song you love and dance it out. Oh, that's powerful for me. (laughs) It really is. Yeah, I mean, my mother was quite a free spirit. She loved dancing and singing um, and not even not only that but that is one of also the one of the ways that I've already used to process grief is like kind of escaping in music and just kind of dancing crazily in my room on my own <laughs> when no one's looking um, and uh, it, it it really works um, so yeah that's quite an quite an emotional thing I'm feeling quite emotional listening to that um so um thank you for reading that you're welcome and it i i've already seen this where people i think people get really excited about dates that mean a lot to them and that makes a lot of sense to me and i've had people um ask i've been posting some of the entries over on my instagram and facebook pages they're like can you post september 16th or can you post december 1st or can you post april 3rd and i'm telling people i'm like pre-order the book go flip it open yourself um or um i've got a group of people in a launch team for it that get copies for free and so they can review it in advance and they're like oh my gosh september 16th is my birthday and this is a quote that my mom used to tell me or oh my gosh may (laughs) is really speak the whole month of may is speaking to me and it's it's really phenomenal. And of course, I put my own, like Pixar would call them Easter eggs in there too, for my birthday, my mom's birthday, her death anniversary, a few special days in my own life. And no one will know as they flip through the book. Yeah. But yeah, there's a few passages in there that, that mean something to me too on specific days. Because numbers and, and dates of the year are a really important part of grief. And I'll tell mm. you another fun fact is when Penguin Random House approached me to write this book, they were saying 365 days. And I said, no, we have to include 366 entries because someone has lost their loved one or their loved one was born on leap year. And we must include that day. We cannot leave that out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I love that. And it's so funny that you mentioned September the 16th about two or three times in that conversation. Mm -hmm. That's my mother's birthday. (laughs) Oh my Uh, goodness. That's amazing. That's one that, um, a woman keeps emailing me about, she's like, that's my birthday. Can you post it? And I said, I will sit, I'll share it with you privately. And then you should go buy the book. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that, that was my mother's birthday. Just last week, it was her birthday. Wow. Happy birthday, um, mom. Yeah. No, I did. I always post something on Instagram or whatever for her birthday. Um, and actually, I, I mean, this is almost off the subject. Well, it is, no, it's not off the subject. But this year, I didn't feel any any sense of anger or emptiness or loss or um yeah like i normally have on those days i really, it was a very peaceful day uh and i was really centered and grateful and um i had i experienced joy <laughs> the kind of joy the deeper joy that comes after the kind of after you've processed your grief and that was the first time that had happened, um, mm. um, you know, 20 years after she passed away. 
this one that happened on her birthday. Um, yeah, um, it happened on the anniversary of her death this year as well, which was really a good sign for me because it's a sign that you've come kind of come to terms with your grief and learn how to process it in a healthy way. Right. And well, something that's coming forward for me right now is I've had these experiences mostly around my mother's birthday. Her death anniversary is still extremely hard for me because it coincides with the holiday season. Um, um, it's the day after Christmas. And so it's still a very hard um, oh, yeah, time of the year for me. But I've had mm. these moments too. And then the next year, and this is not to um, pop your balloon or anything like that, but the next year will be severe or um, anger filled or numb or whatever. And, and so it's almost as if I suppose I want to reinforce this idea of like, yes, that's incredible. And I'm so glad that that's part of your grief stories that you two for two this year, birthday and death anniversary, both. I'm like, there's a deep joy here. There's a, a peace here yeah. and it might look yeah. different next year. And just continuing to hold that reality to be true. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. I'm, I'm well aware of that. Um, grief is not something that ends. It's a, and it's not a problem to be fixed. It will, always be with you in one form or another and yeah some years it'll be bad and some years it'll be good um it just depends where you are i guess in your journey um so i completely agree with you yeah right um, well and then what loss continues to look like in your life so i know that the year that my dad dies my mom's birthday will probably be tremendously hard because i will be grieving mm. her death so long ago but also grieving his death which is new so like new losses also inform Mm. Um, or what's going on in the world. So I know a lot of people for whom the pandemic, the black uprising, the um, kind of <laughs> the election year is triggering people's grief in in ways like yours where they're like, okay, there's a deep joy and a deep peace in remembering my loved one, but also in ways where like, wow, I'm feeling so much more despair than normal because mm. oh, yeah, that's these events nice. are also playing into it. See, the external informs the internal that we've been carrying for a long time too. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, I mean, like you said, you mentioned earlier that you noticed some of the, some of the kind of manifestations that you had when you first lost your mother um, happening this year. Um, I, I noticed that too. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of the same thing, uh, you know, anger and um, kind of despair and, low moods and loneliness and uh, all of those things came up for me have come up for me this year uh, and and I knew that I knew that they would I mean I wasn't you know I knew that they would come up and I was kind of I, I didn't I didn't resist them uh, I just let them happen as it were um, I allowed myself to feel them I allowed myself to experience them I had good support networks around me. I had a therapist. I have a spiritual director, and they all were supportive. And uh, yeah, and it's just one day at a time. Uh, yeah, and it's okay. I mean, it's it's really okay. You know, one of the things I keep telling people is, like, grief is not something to be fixed or solved. You know, it um, it just is, and it will show itself in whatever way um, it's going to show itself. Mm-hmm. And it and it kind of just arrives and then never leaves, but it doesn't always show up with the same intensity every day. 
There's mm. a, a program that I teach and the last three weeks of it are devoted to treating grief like a long-term relationship and reframing grief as a human entity that changes in personality and behavior and intensity mm. with us as we continue to age. It's like it's like being married to grief. And so as as you change and grow, your grief does also. And so there's almost a maturing together that happens and there's seasons where it's really hard and intense and seasons where you kind of both go off and do your own thing for a while, but you are still eternally tied is the word that's coming to me right now. Um, yeah. But there's this perpetual connection that lives on with grief too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's something that I've noticed uh, and it's 20 years since my mother passed away um, and my mother died. Uh, and my relationship with her is, and it's difficult to explain this to somebody who hasn't experienced this, but it, I feel like I have a stronger connection to her now than, than I've had for a long time. It's like we have this relationship. We communicate. Um, I sense that when she's her, she's around or just, I don't know. And sometimes I just say like one or two sentences to her. We have a joke together or something. It, and it's real. It, it's really real. Um, but I had to work to get to that place. You know, I had, I had, to, had to process a lot of grief to get to that place. You know, it took years to get to that place. Uh, and that doesn't mean that I don't still have the anger and the stuff, other, other, other things showing up sometimes and I don't have bad days but I also have those days where I'm able to just connect with her and just um yeah I mean it's, it's grieving but it's it's a different kind of grieving it's um very very much about connection um yeah um I mean what's what's that like for you how has grief evolved for you over the years mm. I think for me, probably the biggest way that grief has changed is I've allowed itself to expand beyond the boundaries of sad. Because I think for me, especially at first, anytime I was sad, I was like, oh, this is grief. But now, I mean, when I continue to be in communication with my mother, even when we're, we have our own inside jokes too. So I'm glad that you have ones with your mom because I have ones with my mom. <laughs> Even when we have our inside jokes and stuff, or I hear from a family member who had a dream about her, or um, my sister and I find pennies. My sister will send me pictures of pennies, especially when we're traveling or, or trying to make big decisions. We find them everywhere and consider them signs from her. So even these moments that have joy or nostalgia embedded in them, I also let them fall under the umbrella of grief. And so grief gets freed from these tethers or these chains of all the things that are dark or bad or sad or heavy, which of course it encompasses those things also, but grief also includes the nostalgia, the joy, the funniness, the humor, the mm, um, the lightness aspect of it. To, like grief lives in that space too. And I think, mm. I mean, that was just absolutely mind blowing to me to, to learn that, but also to continue to learn that. And it's wild. Even as these new milestones come up in my life, as I, as I, publish more books and as I meet more people and as I move to different places and these are all joyful things that are happening it's like ah grief continues to arrive sometimes it's annoying like you're still here (laughs) 
even now you're coming along with this ride. Um, yeah, but, uh, but, but yes. And so the fact that grief is always coming along for the ride, even when 99% of your experience is happy, there's like a 1% that is always grief and it's not, mm-hmm. it's not bad. Um, and I'm learning to I'm perpetually learning to welcome that experience and kind of, um, I hesitate for better phrasing, but like surrender to the reality that grief will always be present. I've stopped trying to make a world without grief because I've just learned that it's impossible and that's very exhausting. And so now I just allow grief to show up, even if it only wants to take up 1%. I'm like, all right, that corner of the room is yours. The rest of it belongs to joy or excitement or anticipation or whatever else is coming. Um, yeah, but it's like grief always, if you can take my mixed metaphors, it's like grief is always taking one slice of cake at the party. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. It sure is. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's always there. You carry you carry it with you every day, uh, for sure. Yeah, it's always, it's always there. And it's always, I mean, for me, I know, I don't know about you, but for me, it's always, it's nice to speak to other people who've had a similar experience uh it's it's quite comforting so to talk to you, to you you know even for example is when and sharing sharing some of the things that i've shared and then you resonating with a lot of those things that's encouraging you know so i can imagine that people who are reading the the book uh will have that same experience because uh it's it's and, and even your first book as well um, permission to grieve um, which is kind of your your story and your kind of manifesto. Um, people will resonate with with those stories and uh, and those experiences, and that's really really important when you're grieving that you don't do it alone. Uh, that you do it with people around you to support you. Right, and they exist. They might not be who you think they're going to be. You can't always yeah. grieve with friends and family, even though that's. I think a societal expectation is like, that's your comfort. That's your support system. I'm like, yeah, they might've been your support system when you were trying to get into law school or when you were taking piano lessons as a kid or, or these other goals that you try and set for yourself. Like you, you're allowed to have people who've cheered you on in your life, but sometimes the same people that cheer you on cannot companion you in grief because they don't know how, or they have their own grief that needs companioning. And so they don't necessarily have space. Um, for yours alongside of theirs. And so it's okay if you're, and I put this in your grief your way also, but it's okay if your support system exists outside of your friends and family. And for most grievers, it it does. So finding a support group or um, a Facebook group or even a book series that has a book club online or something like that um, can be really transformative in finding, quote unquote, your people after somebody dies. Absolutely agree. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I love that. I mean, yeah, absolutely find your people. Yeah, I mean, I know that's kind of become a bit of a corny phrase, but but it's true, you know, your people. And you'll know your people. Something in your intuition will tell you when somebody is one of your people. Um, yeah, and you and it's really you do kind of discover them almost by accident. Uh, and uh, I certainly had that in my experience. Yeah. Um, so, did writing this book do anything to you? Like, how did it change you and shape you? I think, and you'll have to pardon the 
garbage truck outside. <laughs> I love when you can't control the environment that you're recording in. Um, <laughs> yes, a little walking from home. But I, I love this question. Nobody's asked me this yet of how this book changed me at loss. I think um, I read somewhere or I heard somewhere, Pull I pull wisdom from a lot of different places or I hear things that trigger my mind in certain ways. Um, and I heard somewhere or read somewhere that your job in this life is to free yourself over and over and over again. And even as I was writing this book, almost kind of after I wrote it, it's like I looked back and was like, oh, I freed myself from that constraint or that expectation. And I think I thought that grief needs to go on some kind of journey in order to be released. We spoke about this before we got on the mic about how Permission to Grieve is a very linear book where I'm introducing you to my backstory, some concepts you may not know, unlocking different permissions to grieve, and then sharing how you can do it with others. And there's very much an arc to that story. Um, and to that book is a piece of work, but with your grief, your way, it's a very different piece of writing where it's like you dip in, dip out every day. And each chunk of information has to be powerful, accessible, comforting, um, kind of its own standalone mini-sode of grief and grief support. And I, I'm, I think I'm a person that loves words so much. I, I could listen to people go on about grief for 45 minutes and I'm like, okay, what do I tell people if I only have two? And so to, to compress the experience of grief into something equally powerful, but so, so small, um, was kind of a, a sort of freedom to me is like, oh, this is possible just because it's short doesn't mean it's not going to have any impact. And I think that was much of my fear going in is, is this really going to, to get to a depth? Can I accomplish what I'm setting out to accomplish here? Which is, I know you can't see me and your listeners can't see me, but like an unlocking of the chest, a lowering of the shoulders, a feeling that even if I can't believe that hope is ever going to happen to me again, I can believe it as a possibility that exists out in the world. Like, can I accomplish that in, in one paragraph a day? Um, and at first I, I didn't think I could, but I kept writing because it was required of me. <laughs> I signed the contract, but I also kept writing because I'm like, let's just see if this is possible. And now even looking back and, and reading my own words, I almost have an amnesia about what I write sometimes. So I'll go back and be like, that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm returning to my work again as a reader instead of a creator and even returning to it as a reader that I was in 2013, right after my mom died. And she kind of comes into my brain alongside me and she said, this would have helped. This would have meant something to me. And so for as much as it's, it's a love letter or a series of 366 love letters to grievers all over the world, it's very much a series of love letters to that 21 year old girl who lost her mother um, in 2013. And every single day I wrote for her, but then alongside her, whoever else is going to come pick it up and read it. And I'm like, short can also equal powerful is ultimately, I think what this book taught me. Mm. It can, absolutely. It can. Uh, it, yeah. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Sometimes we feel that we need to, kind of embellish and go into lots of detail to try and convey depth, but we don't sometimes. Uh, well, and, and I think I thought that, that like grief was so big, I also needed to meet it with a concept that was so big. And I was like, well, what if I, I didn't? What if, <laughs> what if one trick of grief is to just like say hello to it every day, a little bit, 
and not feel like I have to sign up for a a weekend workshop or I have to go on a, well, I teach a 12 week program about grief and loss called Life After Loss Academy, which I believe you've been in. Um, uh-huh. And uh, yeah. And so I have to do a 12 week program to do something with my grief. I'm like, no, you could, you could read a paragraph every day and that would be enough. Um, and I'm surprising myself even in, in that realization too. Yeah, that's right. I mean, well, I think we're always learning something new about grief and grieving, no matter how far into the journey you are. I mean, I'm 20 years into the journey and I'm still learning. <laughs> totally. Uh, uh, and honestly, I, I don't want to say it gets better, but better is the wrong word, but it, but it certainly becomes deeper and more intimate and more tender over time um and yeah and if you're doing the work that is i mean if you're not doing the work of grief then yeah that's a little different but doing the work it does become that it does become like like that uh and that's certainly been my experience grief is much more much deeper and much more intimate to me now uh, and personal um, because everyone grieves differently you know uh, we all do it we all go through go through it differently we all process differently although there are obviously some things that we have in common and some some patterns that apply to a lot of people and experiences that a lot of people have had um in one sense it's also quite unique what we go through so yeah um yeah and so it's nice to just when you get to a place where you just accept that yeah i'm going to carry this my whole life i just have to keep keep doing the work every day and and having a book where you can just read a little paragraph every day and do one little thing i I know i would have appreciated that Mm -hmm. well and it's 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 low touch like in grief at a time when so much is being asked of you just to stay alive is hard in the aftermath of life so for a book to ask so little and yet reassure you that you're going to make it out of this is, is like, holy cow. Like I could have used that also. And I like what you said about, um, yeah, it doesn't necessarily get better or get easier, but there's a, a depth that comes with it. And almost the visual that I get is when I first experienced grief, I thought it was this entity or this energy that lived outside of me that was oppressing me and like pushing in on my walls and trying to squash me. And I mean, I'm always continuing to do this. It's not a process that's finished by any means, but I keep trying to like hug it closer to me so that it seeps into my skin and into my body. And I've like integrated it into the experience of my humanness in the world. And so now it feels more like um, a bone in my body or like an organ in my chest that like lives there. It's not something that's outside of me that's coming to kill me. It's actually something that lives inside of me that cannot be separated from me. And it's very surreal to put myself back in those shoes of the first days of my grief of like this, this thing has arrived and it's going to kill me. And now, um, as my like 28 year old self, looking back at that girl and be like, actually, it's a part of you and you can't disconnect the cord. And there are ways to almost unhinge your jaw and consume 
the experience of grief so that you can become a wider and more expansive container for it. And I know I'm speaking very like in visualizations and metaphors right now. Um, but people, the, the question I get asked all the time is like, how do I integrate grief into the picture of my life? And I think the answer is we practice becoming wider and bigger. Like we, we push out our own walls so that we have room for such a big emotional experience. Like we can carry it with us and we get better at carrying it. I actually like that you use the word better um, because I, I think to grieve is to develop a skill. It's not to master an emotional experience, then you never have to deal with it again. It's, I have to do this every single day. It's like taking your vitamins or, or walking up the stairs. It's like the more you do it, the better you get at it because your muscles are getting stronger because the habit's becoming ingrained. And so there's this absorption and almost digestion of grief that's perpetually happening. So when things like the, the coronavirus pandemic arrived, I was like, oh, I am back to that first place of grief being this big oppressive thing that's outside of me. And I was like, okay, how do I, how do I digest, absorb, swallow this experience and make myself bigger, wider, more expansive to make room for it also? And so it's like, how can I continue pushing out my own walls so I can make room for the grief of a, a global virus? Yeah. So constantly working on that. <laughs> and so much yeah. of what I've written in your grief, your way is like, here's a tiny way you can attempt this today with hopefully the goal of it becoming some sort of a daily practice for people who read it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think it will. I think, um, it, you know, I'd highly recommend it to everyone. It's available now. Um, and, uh, from your, from your favorite books, huh? And, um, thank you for writing it. Honestly, I'm, I'm very grateful for that for that book and uh it's helped me for sure um it's definitely been really helpful for me uh somebody who has experience of grief and somebody who is like everyone else going through what we're going through this year with this kind of collective grief experience yeah so i'd recommend it to everyone uh thank you for coming on the show Oh, I'm so excited to have been here. I, I love um, sharing our insights together because it's not every day that I get to speak with somebody who's also like a member of the Dead Moms Club. There's actually like hashtag Dead Moms Club, um, but there's something significant about it. It's a, it's, a, it's a special kind of loss. I think all losses are special in their own ways, which is why it's so important to find your people, um, but especially to meet other motherless children no matter how old you are. Um, it's always really, really special. Mm, yeah. I un completely understand what you mean. Yeah. And again, it's something that's difficult to explain to people who haven't lost their mother, but there is something about losing a mother. Yeah. Um, so it is nice to talk to somebody else in that club. So, yeah. Um, and where can people find your work, uh, the rest of your work? Oh, sure. So uh, literally everything I do is at shelbyforsythia.com. And that includes podcasts, books, live workshops and events. I'm doing um, a teeny bookstore tour virtually uh, for Your Grief, Your Way. And if you know of a local bookstore near you that would like to do an interview about it, I've still got a pretty open calendar. So receptive to any of that, but you can contact me there. You can work with me one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. Everything's at shelbyforsythia.com. Fantastic. Thank you so much. 
and uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Take care.